All right. Video is rolling. Clock has started. Victor, what is your question? All right. So I'm just curious on kind of your elaboration on um, when somebody has a gain, let's say hip internal rotation, how do you in general go about superimposing force production on that newly acquired range of motion? I can't imagine that just because they have the range of motion that they'll use it appropriately, but maybe they're not sure. So I just want to hear you clear that up. Okay. Uh, just in general. So, so when you say use it appropriately, the, the thing that we have to, to have in place is the context in which it's going to be applied. So, so if we were just talking about walking versus throwing a baseball, okay? Very similar um, in regard to uh, the, the phases of propulsion, but how you would produce that might be different because of physical structure and because of how they're producing internal rotation. So when you say internal rotation, it's like, okay, is this relative motion at the hip or is it a compensatory strategy to drive force into the ground to a greater degree, which I might use an anterior orientation because that increases the amount of force that I can apply into the ground. So again, we have, we have to be very contextual with this and okay. progressive. So, sorry, uh, uh, if, if you think about, so you just acquired, let's just say you acquired relative motion of internal rotation on the table, okay? Mm -hmm. As soon as I take you out of that context, I've just changed everything about the strategy that you would have to use because I've, I would have reoriented gravity. I have actually increased the force demands upon you. And then I'm gonna move you into a context where we now have seven components of force to deal with, right? So the magnitude of the force matters, the rate of the force application matters, right? So, so again, we have multiple influences now that we have to account for as to what strategy you will, you will utilize because as you move into higher and higher force production, you will lose relative motion. It is, it is inevitable because you cannot produce a higher peak force with relative motion. Motion has to actually stop for you to apply that force into the ground. And so over what duration do we need to apply this force? Um, give you a comparison, a max effort squat. So I put 400 pounds on your back, right? And you perform a squat. The duration of your, of your peak force output is going to increase, right? It takes a little bit longer for you to get through that, that, that phase of peak force. If you were using half of that weight, perform the same activity, it would be a much smaller representation um, based on time. Because again, you can move that weight much more quickly. You can still be very, very forceful, but because the acceleration, the acceleration is higher, it's a shorter duration um, where you would be exposed to that peak force. So, so it requires a very specific context. And this might be something that a lot of people might not recognize is because they just make an assumption that's like, oh, you have internal rotation now, now you have the capacity to do this. Like, not necessarily, right? And, the, and this, this becomes problematic when you're working in the athletic realm, um, physical structure is going to determine how you apply forces to the ground, um, what durations you have available to you. So a narrow ISA individual, so like take the extreme narrow ISA, Okay, they have a very small window of opportunity to apply force into the ground because they don't have the shape change that that produces the maximum force into the ground. 
right? Okay. So uh, take a high jumper, like a really good high jumper, okay? If they apply force into the ground too long, they dampen. Okay? Right. Okay. Because their window, by their physical structure alone, so this is a physical structure thing. It's like, you, you look at the best high jumpers in the world, they all kind of look the same, right? Yeah. Like, like what the, the Olympics are like one of the greatest representations of the influence of physical structure, right? Um, you, you take a, uh, uh, take the best high jumper and then have them stand next to the best shot putter. Two totally different worlds. Yeah. Both human, both same body parts, different physical structures. And therefore the, the way that they apply forces into the ground are gonna be different. Um, the outcomes are obviously going to be different. Their connective tissue behavior is going to be different. And, and so then you have to account for this. It's like, so I got a high jumper that has, <clears throat> that needs a tremendous amount of uh, um, internal rotation into the ground over a very short period of time, but he needs to access that, that internal rotation directly, well, it's like slightly in front of his center of gravity. Okay, now take the center of gravity of the shot putter. He's gonna use a lot more orientation to apply that force in the ground because he's got a longer period of time that he can apply that force to the ground, okay? His force needs to be a lot, like his peak force is going to be probably very, very high, right? Because he's got to move an implement, okay? You see the differences when you say, how do you progress somebody, you know? with, with, with... the black and white answer, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> it's it's rarely that, but but yeah. but but it's but it is principle based. You just have to sure. recognize what the principles are. It's not again. This is why the the, the generic program <clears throat> concept. You know, it's like you apply the same program to two different people. Why do you get two different outcomes? Well, because the starting conditions were different, and therefore yeah. the outcomes will be different, and and that's the thing you have to, to kind of recognize. And so so you take again, just, just fall back on basic principles. Um, we could use the two extremes. So, so it's like, what kind of an archetype are we looking at? What kind of a configuration do they have in the, in the relationships between the thorax and the pelvis in regards to, to circumference? Because that determines how easily they're able to move their center of gravity upward and downward. Um, it's gonna tell you how long they spend on the ground. It's gonna tell you how big their, their, their middle propulsive representation is. A wide ISA individual has a much broader uh, duration and physical space to apply forces to the ground, a narrow does not. That's why when you when you see the 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 tall, slender folks that come in um, to to the clinic, you know, with painful situations, they're trying to apply forces into the ground in an ER representation because they spend more time in that space because their physical structure says, guess what, you're going to spend more time in that space no matter what you do. And so that's that's that becomes the difficulty. So as simple as your question seems to be, there is complexity in it, but you can fall back on your principles and you say, okay, where, where is this person going to apply that force? In what circumstance do they apply that force? At what rate do they apply that force? Because I have a time constraint under most situations, right? What direction is that force being applied? So there's a few questions to answer but they are, I think they are answerable. And then 
you'd rely on process after that, where you say, okay, here's what I thought was going on. Here's what I thought we needed to do. And here was the outcome. Is that favorable? Good. Then let's, then let's uh, amplify that and let's reinforce it and see what happens. Was it the was it the less desired outcome? Okay, let's dampen that. Let's try another strategy, right? And, and again, you have to be incremental in your process, right? Because you just don't know. I mean, it, it, we, we, can, we can talk on, on, on principle, but you don't know until you do something. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. A very busy Tuesday uh, coming up. First, uh, quick housekeeping item, the next intensive. So this would be intensive 17, I believe. Um, we're looking at sometime around mid-May. So I think it's the second week of May where that will occur. Um, I will confirm those dates with you uh, very soon. Um, if you have not gotten on the email list, go to any blog post on BillHartmanBT.com and you can get your name on the list so you get notified first so you can get your application in prior to everyone else and give yourself a really good shot at getting in. Okay, digging into today's Q&A. This is with Taya. Uh, Taya had a question in regards to shoulder flexion, so she was watching some of the videos on YouTube and still needed some clarification as to where we're going to see expansion, where we're going to see compression, and then what type of an activity might we select to get people into these spaces where they can actually reach overhead, because there's a lot of confusion as to what is external rotation, what is internal rotation, and a lot of information is getting perpetuated that is actually inaccurate. So Taya, thank you for asking this question. You're going to help a lot of people. If you'd like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Please put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. Please include your question in the email, and we will take care of those as quickly as we can and arrange those at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Tuesday, and I will see you tomorrow. It was regarding the uh, how to gain um, end ranges of shoulder flexion. Okay. But the question was whether you could do it in a quadruped position. And then you started talking that when you put someone in quadruped position, you would you could also get the expansion below the scapula. Yes. So I just wanted to go over how and why and whether it would be wiser to use like low reaches to get uh, or am I getting that wrong? Um, okay, so what the intention is to get the arm overhead? Okay. Uh, just like uh, just to uh, improve those end ranges of shoulder flexion. It was yeah, the question that, about that. Yeah, we're we're yeah we're we're trying to get the arm yeah. over right. Okay, all right. So <clears throat> if you're standing upright, mm -hmm. um, how do the lungs fill with air from the top down or from the bottom up? Bottom up. Excellent. So so for us to move the arm through the excursion of an overhead reach we have to have lungs that will fill from the bottom up, which means that that posterior lower aspect of the, of the rib cage has to be able to expand. So I have to be able to put air there, right? <clears throat> so that'd be step, that would be step one for me to reach up overhead, correct? Yeah. Awesome, okay. If I'm in quadruped, 
is the is the scapula in its traditionally referred to upward rotation position. It is. Awesome. Would that create concentric orientation of that that dorsal rostral space? Yeah. Excellent. What would happen to the space below it? It would expand. <laughs> okay. So relatively speaking, it, it, it would expand. So this is this is an IR representation, correct? And so mm -hmm. if we looked at so so let's look at this for a second. Look at the pelvis for a sec in its IR representation. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Would you have a nutated sacrum? Mm-hmm. Cool. Would the would the posterior lower aspect of that pelvis probably be in, in an expanded representation because of that that nutated sacrum? There you go. So we created the same representation in the thorax that we just had in the pelvis. So if you look at it from that perspective, now you can kind of see like, oh, posterior lower would be expanded under those circumstances. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So as we, as the scapula is moving through, it's traditionally referred to upward rotation where if I have, if I, if I have concentric orientation of the dorsal rostral, where am I promoting expansion to allow that arm to move through internal rotation? Can you repeat the question? I can, I think. So, <laughs> so as you're raising the arm, the scapula, yeah. okay, the, like I said, traditionally they'll say that the scapula upwardly rotates. <clears throat> that creates concentric orientation of dorsal rostral. You'd agree with that, mm -hmm. right? Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So where would the expansion be occurring that allows me to move through this, this this, this part of the reach where the scapula is actually moving, where would I expand? Anteriorly. Perfect. Okay. So that would be kind of like if I was in that quadruped position. So now I got posterior lower expansion and I've got anterior expansion on the mm -hmm. front side that gets me through that, that middle range. Would you agree? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So to go higher, right? to go up higher, so above this level, okay? Where do I need to expand? Upper do dorsal rostral. Okay, if I'm gonna do it in external rotation, that is correct, okay? If, I, mm -hmm. if I'm gonna be able to access external rotation at the top of the overhead reach, that is what I would need, okay? How do I get that? You uh, are you asking about the exercises or uh... well, what would need to happen? So we've talked about where we need to expand so we can access certain spaces with our arm. Okay, so if I want to get my 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 arm up overhead, you you are correct that I need to expand the the upper dr right. Okay, so so that upper dorsal rostral has to expand, like what a prone we... position. Say again. Where the, the prone position where the knees would be a little higher. So the air is driven more to the upper part of the lungs. Okay, so, so I like that, okay. But to drive, to make sure that the air goes there and doesn't go elsewhere, what, would, what, what do I need to now compress that was previously expanded? Below the scapula. And? The door, door, uh, anterior. Yeah. So, so all those places that I expanded to, to get the arm to pass through those ranges will progressively squeeze back in to push the volume of air into the space that I need to access the space. Mm -hmm. do, does that make sense? Yeah. I'm just trying to picture an exercise that would allow me to do that. Yeah. So, so you take your, uh, you, you, you take your inverted activities, 
that will because that flip flops the airflow right so so it starts mm -hmm. to, it makes it easier for me to put air in in the upper part of the the rib cage which is now the lower part of the rib cage when you kick somebody's behind up in the air right but you might need other activities to, to transition you into that position you can't just go diving right into it because if you don't have the original expansion you get there with a compensatory strategy to start with and now you're you're behind the eight ball already okay Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, perfect sense. Okay. Does it um, answer your question? It does. I I just wanted to check one other thing because then I started to draw what's happening because I uh -huh. wanted to understand. Yeah. So yeah. when you're in that 120 to 180 reach, um, I just wanted to picture, if I'm not mistaken, it's like the... Uh, ER representation of the scapula again? Yep, I hope so. Because think about this. How are you going to get air? How are you going to get air into the upper dorsal rostral if it's pressing against the, the back of the thorax? Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't get the arm overhead. It just means you're not going to get it overhead at an ER representation. Mm -hmm. Okay. You understand that, right? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask when the scapula is in this presentation. The way that it's pressing against the thorax is with the lateral border, or no? It, it, the, the lateral border will be will be uh, closer to to that that compressive strategy because the medial border has yes, to, okay. it has to create the space, right? So mm -hmm. this is the top. I don't think my scapula is close, but if this is the top of the scapula, it's got a it's got to move back mm -hmm. to allow it to expand. So it's going to turn, it's going to actually be on an oblique. It's going to do that. And then this space would fill up so I can get my arm overhead. But keep in mind, keep in mind, we're talking about a, a space that we're using that inhalation strategy. The difference between just reaching into that space and pressing a weight <clears throat> into that space or accessing that space in internal rotation, which would be the very end range of overhead reach, okay? So for me to get my arm all the way overhead, like, like I'm reaching upward, you're gonna recompress that, that scapula against the rib cage because it's gonna be a late representation and so you're gonna have compressing that. So the space that you create as you transition closer and closer to the overhead, it's gonna disappear again, okay? Okay, okay. It'd be, like if you, were if you were standing on your hands, like if you're, you know, you're upside down and you're doing a handstand, you can't mm -hmm. do that extra. You can't do that in external rotation. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. <laughs> well, it'd be like standing on your feet, right? Mm -hmm. Try to stand on your feet in external rotation. Some people do, and it hurts, right? But again, we go back to Andrew's question when we were talking about single leg stance or or the bilateral stance. You're going to be biased more towards internal rotation at that point because we have to push into the ground, right? So if I'm mm -hmm. inverted, like fully inverted, I'm pushing into the ground you're going to get a lot of compression in, in the dorsal rostral and upper DR, okay? Okay, perfect. So I usually, uh, I, after the calls or after I get some ideas, I'll, I've been uh, experimenting by just giving, uh, giving the activities and then seeing how different people just kind of self-organize with the activity. So one of, the, one of the activities was the lateral sled drag. Uh -huh. And so... Um, in 
uh, with the intent of promoting kind of that differential or, or starting a gradient kind of side to side. Uh-huh. Um, I saw like a couple different things I saw was one was um, uh, a, like knee bend, like a deep knee bend when, when moving from, let's say uh, the handles in the right side, you're moving from right to, to left, you're moving towards the left. So uh-huh. you're pushing, yeah. So you're pushing uh, or pulling? Sorry, uh, pushing. P- pushing with the right. So you're you're pushing to the right. Are oh, you pushing into the floor with the right foot? Is that what right, right, right. Okay, all right. No, I understand. I understand. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, um, in that instance, like how much of a uh, one of the things I saw was like a different degree of lateral, like like the trunk trunk lean. So, uh, how much of that do you want? You're trying to drive the IR on that the side that's towards the the sled correct correct it okay yeah it's gonna be it's gonna turn into like a late representation which would be more ir um superimposed there but yeah you're right okay and then and and then when when people were uh, you know i would say what are you feeling there and they'll say they they feel a lot of depending on the degree of 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 trunk lean they'll they'll feel like the left, you know, left oblique or something. Oh, I feel my left, left side. So are we driving a compressive strategy on that side that's away from the sled as well? Super important. Like, is that favorable in that, in that instance? Because we're trying to drive it. My, my thought process originally was driving it from one side to drive the gradient towards, let's say the left side from a, if we're talking okay, about so, that. So you have to consider the, the parameters of the activity now, right? So you have to say, okay, um, how much load do I have? Mm-hmm. And then what am I constraining with my attachment to the sled? So pulling a sled with your right hand handle versus taking a strap and putting it around the pelvis are not the same thing, right? Right. So you're, you're immediately constraining the the thorax so you're reducing relative motion in the thorax by having them hold on to the handle it doesn't make it wrong just means that i am i know that i'm intentionally constraining it i'm actually moving them towards a a stronger middle representation because i'm taking away the the turn that they would have available if i just attached them to sled with the hip belt right so i should expect that i would get more thorax activity Right. So, so again, I, I would expect that I'm going to have that, that load. Now I can manipulate the degree with which I'm going to produce that IR by load, right? So the heavier the load is, the more I'm going to push them down into the ground as they're moving sideways. Okay. If your, if your intention is to increase the, the relative movement um, then typically I do not constrain the upper extremities for that reason, because I want to I want to create the the turning capability through the thorax and drive it down um, into the ground as I push off the right foot, like you were talking about. But I also want to create the delay strategy as I'm stepping out and, and bringing the foot over top. With the would the implement that you use to attach to the hip also provide a constraint for a compressive strut, like where you're placing that? Yeah. So like, like, so we use the, the wraparound strap sometimes mm-hmm. to, to, to promote the, the, or, or actually restrict the shape change. Right. 
So I can constrain yeah. the, I can con intentionally constrain the, the thorax, but leave the, like the um, upper thorax free to move while I constrain the lower thorax. Okay. Um, I can promote um, any kind of- Could you of do the same thing in the thorax then? Also promote, like if you wrap it around the- yeah. So like I said, it, it, it's, it comes down to like, what, what is the intention? Like, what do you, what do you, what shape are you trying to create mm -hmm. and where do you create the constraint? So yeah, without question. Yeah. But understand it's like you're, you're moving sideways. You're dragging a load. You're, you're in middle. You're just playing on, on either side of middle in most circumstances. And then it's like, how middle do you want to make this? Like how close to max P are you going to, you're going to get? So that's a heavier load. That's that's more constraint. So it's upper extremity constraint. It's it's thorax constraints, right? So so because it makes you push down harder into the ground, right? Yeah, I was I was I think I I structured it that way, thinking that if there's just a, such a limited amount of turn available, and we're just trying to create a, a somewhat of a differential that that Correct. so that. Yeah. But See, that's, not... that's why that's why like the lateral sled drags are are great for stuff like like getting that that um uh the dorsiflexion because mm. the, the the tibia is is it's turning obviously it's doing this mm -hmm. as you're walking right so it's starting to turn and it and it pushes the foot into the ground that you need to, to bring the arch down so the tibia starts to translate across and so that requires a downward force to do that. It's not that the tibia has to move over the foot, right? It's just the fact that I have to get the, the internal rotation mechanics into the ground. And then that's what makes it useful. So I don't need to demonstrate full excursion during the activity to gain more excursion in regards to, to the ranges of motion. I need the mechanics. So again, this is a middle representation. So anything that, that I need, Andrew Green, anything I need for middle, right? Like single leg stance, pushing off a single leg, this becomes a very useful activity. At the end of the push off, we're into the, into late, correct? Yeah, you're moving towards late. Mm -hmm. Towards late, okay. But not actually hitting that ER representation just because of the force prediction yeah. in the ground. Right, it's a, so, you're going to end, you're, so you're going to end up, you're going to think about this. You've constrained relative motion. Okay. So you're, you're behaving in a space with some measure of relative motion, but as you get to the ends of the activity, it's all gone. Right. So you're going to be in like anything that you do beyond that point. So as your right big toe is on the ground, right, that, that becomes the last element of super imposition of of ir on er right but there's not a whole lot of relative motion there because everything's so closer to max that's max um when you, if it's just your big toe you're past max but um but point being is is like you're you're playing in a very small range you would you would i would never use like a sled drag to maximize er capabilities you know what i mean mm -hmm. I would use it. I would use it to to capture the stuff that I need in that middle range. So, like I said, tibial translation, bringing the arch down, mm -hmm. like getting getting the getting the uh, the rear foot and the forefoot coordinated to bring the arch down as the tibia translates and internally rotates on top of the foot. Gotcha. So it's this 
but you can still like it's still uh, valuable from from a, the standpoint of if someone is is super pushed forward on both sides and that's the space that they have available to superimpose the IR. Right. And and now and now think about which clients would probably benefit from that the most that would have a, a, a greater potential for that middle range. Like Ian, a, Ian, Ian knows the answer. He just threw up the big wait, I, I guess I just don't under I don't understand that the middle range portion of it, what were you saying? Who has a who has a bigger representation of middle propulsion, wide ISA people or narrow ISA people? Uh, who's IR bias? Who's IR bias? Yeah, yeah. The white white ISAs are more IR biased. So so you can work you can work in that middle range a lot a lot more because they have more potential for that middle range to be represented. Whereas you got mm -hmm. something that's like like take your craziest narrow of narrows, like the amount of space that they have for middle propulsion is very very small. That's why I always say if somebody's like really, really late and they're narrow ISA, go all the way back to early, capture that, and then try to come back through to, to pick up the middle because it's a little bit easier to do that. Whereas I got somebody that's a, that's a wide ISA bias, they don't have a, a bigger, they don't have as big a representation of an early. So even if you try to move them back to early, you're still going to be towards their middle representation. So the lateral sled drags tend to be a little bit better for your middle representations, mm -hmm. right? You see the difference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, if you did have, if you did have a narrow ISA and you want to do sled drags, what's a better representation of a sled drag for for the for the narrows versus the wides? So wides would go sideways. What direction would your narrows go? Uh, reverse. Yeah, they just go backwards, right? They're gonna drag it. They're gonna they're gonna pretend to move backwards. Yeah. Pretend to move backwards. You understand what I'm saying, right? No, no, you can't move backwards. You can't move backwards. Unless you, oh, so you do it in a time machine. So that way you can. <laughs> it's something like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, we, have bend, we have to bend space time in the right, in the right direction. Right? Direction. Oh, okay. Easy enough. I'll, I'll try that today. So um, as far as getting the upper extremity, say, um, I'm trying to think of a way to, to organize the activity so that you can get that same gradient uh, or differential that you're trying to create with the lateral sled drag with the the hip attachment in the in the thorax as well. Is that kind of what you were how you were saying with a with a bar kind of going wide and then like is there anything you could add to that activity to to the to the sled drag? Yeah, sled drag. Say I've implemented at the hip. Are you still getting that rotation? I, I, you're still getting that that uh, through the the thorax as well, right? Well, when you're so moving, like, like basically, what I do though is I just cue the extremity motion mm. to make sure okay. that they're 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 creating the turn as they're stepping through, because again, I want this to be free to move if if relative motion is the goal, right? Yeah, because you you because technically you are constraining the pelvis, you know, even though even though the the thorax is free to move, you're constraining the pelvis with the belt. I mean, there's there's no way to not create a constraint and drag weight at the same time. Right. It's just that you have to pick your battles and then you say, okay, I'm willing to constrain this. So think about this for a second, Vic. So if you got somebody that, <clears throat> that has like more AP compression on the left side than they do on the right side, 
a left leftward sled drag is a great solution because the belt itself pushes against the pelvis, much like laying on the ground would. And so then you get the AP on that side as I'm pushing into it. I create a late representation on the right side, pushing into the left, and I get my AP, and then that drives my IR into the ground. So that's actually a nice little way to, to recapture the pelvic shape change. And you don't need a sled to do this. It's like you just hook somebody up to a cable and you do a little bit of sidestep action, you'll get the same effect. Is there any way you can take advantage of the, because like in that, in the motion uh, moving from, let's say right to left, uh, take advantage of the, the, any compensation, like a compensatory turn that might happen just like you would in a supine cross connect with a crossover with, um, potentially, yes. But, but again, keep in mind that you're, you're already very constrained. And then so then the question is, is like, okay, um, if I'm going to use a compensatory strategy in this constrained atmosphere, am I, am I just making refrigerator turns or mm. am I truly capturing some of the relative motion? So what you may, again, you may need to do something prior to and then use the sled use the sled drag to reinforce. To reinforce, so it'd be a, pro yeah. okay, a progression. Yeah, and that's, that's, the call, that's the call that you have to make as the, as the good coach and the good therapist is like, okay, can I just throw you onto a sled and see what happens? Okay, did I get the change that I want? Awesome, if you didn't, then okay, I might need to capture something else first. Alex, please tell me you have like a relationship question because it's, it's been really hard this morning already. Um, I'll save this for the future. <laughs> I'll think of a really good one for you. So my question is about strokes and the pelvic floor. Stroke? Yeah. Like CVA stroke? Okay. So I know there's a lot of weakness in the diaphragm a lot of times. I assume there's a lot of weakness in the pelvic floor. Um, and I was just basically wondering how that would factor into your thinking because Okay. But it's so, something I've been noticing more lately, and yeah. clearly it's, it's depending on the person you affect them a lot. Yeah. So. You, do, you, do you have a patient with a stroke right now? Yeah, I got one of mine. Okay. Um, do they have like the hemi gate where they they lock the knee back as they walk? No, I can be, I mean, just demonstrate it. Sure. There, we'll see. That's one of the best also ways. It's kind of like the best to figure it out. Awesome. Which, so which side are they hemi? Well, I, I classify it as a right hemi, but it's a left CVA. Yeah. Okay. So so which side of the pelvis is down? The, the side that has the motor deficit, correct? Yeah. All right. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So what's the problem? Uh, no specific problem. I was just hoping for a discussion and some information. Okay, so so let's let's start like crazy simple. Let's go. Let's go day one. <clears throat> uh, simple rule. You move in the direction of expansion. Mm -hmm. So the pelvis is moving in the direction of expansion, right? Mm -hmm. There you go. Step one. So my my assumption is here that without um, strengthening the pelvic floor. You're kind of just going to drop to that side. Yep. Um, and that's kind of what's happening here. No question. So I was wondering if you had any good strategies for this because 
Okay. A lot of, a lot of times these people are pretty challenging. <laughs> without question, without question, because the constraints are different, right? Yeah. So, so uh, thankfully, Cameron and I are both rather mobile. Okay, he more than I, but but point being is, is like we don't have we don't have the constraint deficits that you're now dealing with. Okay, so let's think about this for a second. Do I have a pelvis that can change its shape? No. Yes. Yes, you do. What I don't have is the motor output to change the shape. Okay. All right. Does this person have an AFO on their ankle? No. Do they have normal ankle movement available to them? Do they have normal ankle force production? Okay. Hang on. So why aren't you putting that ankle and foot in a middle propulsive representation to drive middle up from the ground? question so but so this is how you have to start to think about this is like okay so i don't have a motor output to change the shape but i know that they can change the shape they're still human right so now i have to figure out it's like okay so 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 where do where do they lack the the ability um to capture a position they can't capture an i-yard representation this is an e-yard representation on the right side of the pelvis at all times mm -hmm. how can i create the best representation of IR force production into the ground. Okay, so if I got a foot that that is is floppy, so to speak, right? It, so so it, it does not have the, enough muscle activity to capture a middle propulsive representation. But guess what? I can add a constraint. I can put them in an AFO. Now at the ground up, the information from the ground up is middle propulsion. Okay, you follow me so far? Yeah, I mean, so does, is the AFO alone enough to do it? Because I just, no, I'm not there. Yeah, of course, but it's um, my my point is is helpful. Yeah, it's helpful because again, you've got to you've got to have signaling somewhere to promote the shape change that is associated with the position of force production. Hmm. So everything that you do, everything that you do. Is to is to help them create the IR representation. They're already trying to do that. Okay, so the 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 right side of the pelvis is accelerating into the ground. Okay, how are they producing force into the ground right now? Do they lean over that right side? Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. Why does why do they do that? They're trying to get force into the ground. So what do they do? They expand on the left side that allows compression on the right side and that is their best case scenario for force production so you have to you have to take so this is your assessment so like when you're assessing and evaluating a patient like this you're trying to find out what motor outputs they have available to them mm -hmm. that's what you're evaluating if somebody would have told me that in in pt school it would have been great right it, 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 to, to explain it this way it's like there's a representation where you produce force can they get into that position where are they relative to that position how much motor output do they have find that out now you have now you have the, the you, you have the the concept of like okay what strategy can they produce let's use that to the greatest degree that they have possible let's train them as hard as we possibly can for them to be able to utilize this and mm -hmm. then now i have to add stuff 
okay? In that pelvis, if I got an ER representation of a pelvis, what constraint can I add to the pelvis to create an IR shape? Table. Huh? Table? Well, they can't walk around with the table on. Oh, you I, mean literally. I, I, was, I was thinking like something that you could do to them. Uh, Ian, say it. Say it out loud, Ian. Is it the SI belt? Yeah, to... put an SI belt on them. Like secure, secure the ilia so, so that you're creating the compression. So you artificially create the IR representation of the pelvis. Okay. So now I got an AFO, I got an SI belt. So now I got a foot that can capture a middle representation. I got a better shot. And I can't tell you how good this is going to be, but I got a better shot at creating the IR representation of the pelvis at the same time. Because I just need the shape change, right? And then hopefully, hopefully I get enough of them. They have enough of the motor output available to them that they can actually access this position. You see it? Yeah. And so I'll probably have to do potentially some like pelvic floor e-weighting type exercises. Maybe. Yeah. Do you ever do you ever do, do they do, do they still do bridging and stroke rehab? I'm sure they do. Okay, why? Because you need strong glutes, right? No. It weights the pelvic floor. It unweights the pelvic diaphragm, doesn't it? Yeah, the, the pelvic outlet. So something I did have her do was hold the bridge. I I helped her hold the bridge um, yeah. with my hands like on the sides of her hips. Yeah. And, and had her do some like long full exhales. Yep. Awesome. Perfect. That's what I would do. But I, I wasn't really paying attention to the feet as much. So that would be. Hey. That would be a big deal for you. Yeah. That would be yeah. a big deal. Yeah, so so that you're, you've inverted her, right? You're moving her towards an IR representation of the pelvis and the and the hip and the foot all at the same time. That's why you do those things, right? Stop. We we, we got to get people to stop thinking about muscles and start thinking about the position, right? So mm -hmm. you're trying to get her the IR. Man, I would do this till the cows come home, as much as you possibly can, right? Okay. You get it. Yeah. Yeah. I R I R I R I R. Yeah. Yep. 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 And 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 you got to drive it top down. What would be an example of that? You ever use a cane? Yeah. What's a cane for? A number of things. No, it's not. Driving IR from the top down. It's, it's for driving IR from the top down. It's exactly what it's for. Okay. Um, unless you're unless you're Dr. House. Okay. What side do you put the cane on? Opposite side. Yeah. So can she deliver a a peak IR force on the right side? Uh, compared to the original, no. Okay. So I need to give her an assist, do I not? So if I put the cane on the left side, she's doing a left suitcase carry, which will give me IR on the right side, will it not? So I mean, yeah. I'm assuming the answer here is yes, but. So she, so she can't produce max IR. So yeah. I'm gonna use the unaffected side to help increase the amount of IR into the ground as she applies force with her, her deficit side. Gotcha. It's, it's all, it's going down, dude. 
Remember, IR is down. Do you see it? it? Are you saying it essentially allows like a reorientation without IR compensation? So can she produce the same amount of IR on the right side as the left side? No. No. So you just take IR from the left is what you're saying. <laughs> well, I'm using the left side to produce right IR. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Because I'm filling in the gap. Like, let's just say that that let's just say that she's got 60% of, of IR capability on the right side versus the left. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take the cane and I'm going to apply a force into the ground. Now, is it going to, is it going to fill the 40%? No. What's the percentage? What is the, what is the desired percentage of IR force delivered by a cane under all circumstances to eliminate a gate deficit? Do you know what that answer is? No. 5%. Okay. I, I it's about it seriously they it, it you you can find it you just gotta look really hard it, it's probably like in one paper in the whole wide world it's about a five percent deficit it's like and i'm talking about like a point contact right a single point contact like they give you the quad canes and stuff like that you can put more pressure on those okay which is why they exist right uh, so you can deliver more but that's that's going to give you you know upwards of like you know 10 to 15 percent probably by contact um but the point is, is like, I'm going to use my, my unaffected side to, to fill the deficit of IR that she lacks on that side. Okay. You get it? Yeah, I think so. It's pretty straight. I mean, once you, once you recognize it's like, oh, wait a minute, we're just talking about positions. Like we always talk about. Yes. So this is, this is, this, this is why, and I'm going to dislocate my shoulder, pat myself on the back. This is why the model is useful is because it doesn't matter what we're talking about. It doesn't matter if we're talking about a stroke. It doesn't matter if we're talking about a sprained ankle. It doesn't matter if we're talking about back pain or, you know, a broken nose. I don't care, right? The, 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 the model is useful in, in across context. That means it's closer to the truth, right? So if you understand the model, all you have to do is recognize, okay, what is the constraints? What is the deficit? What do I have available to work with? How can I use the other side to compensate for, for that side? If I have a permanent constraint change, what are you gonna do? Well, I gotta borrow, right? That's where you start to add stuff, right? AFO, SI belt, cane, get it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what, yeah. That's what that, and again, so it's no longer like ortho rehab, neuro rehab, it's just rehab, right? There's no difference. There's no difference. They were lied to you in school. Well, everyone deals with gravity. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, anyway, on earth, like, you know, microgravity is a whole lot different. What a nightmare that would be. Whew. I don't want to go to space. Good morning. Happy Friday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Ready to dig into a very busy Friday. A uh, quick housekeeping item. Applications to the Intensive 17 will be open this evening for email list members. So if you're not on the email list, please go get signed up. Go to any blog post on BillHartmanPT.com. Uh, you can get on that list so you get first uh, opportunity to apply for the intensive 17 about 24 hours before we open that up to the general public if we haven't hit our target number of applications. Digging into today's Q&A, this is with Cameron. 
Uh, kind of a two-parter uh, question. Uh, start off very biomechanical. We were talking about the inhaled representation uh, of the pelvis and what the orientation would be of the sacrum relative to the ischium. Some constant orientation and connective tissue behaviors that allow us to distinguish how uh, this shape is actually created. So very, very useful. Um, the, the second part of the question actually transitioned into application of my model. So, so what my model offers is principles. It, it, it describes the how of uh, how we behave, how we move, and then it is up to you to use your perceptions, your skills, and applying those principles in context. And so ultimately, the answer to most questions is you have to find your way on how you do things, but it will be based on foundational principles. And so that's the second part of the discussion, very important for you to understand as you start to work through uh, the use of these principles. So thank you, Cameron, for that. If you'd like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. Uh, include your question in the email, please, and we will arrange that at our mutual uh, convenience. Don't forget, hit the YouTube channel um, so you can get all of these videos as, as they get posted up there, and you can access the entire backlog of videos as well. Everybody have an outstanding weekend, and I'll see you next week. Follow-up question to Ian's. <laughs> uh, so in an early P... Yeah. The apex of the sacrum moves towards the ischium, or they move towards each other. It's an ER representation, isn't it? Yes. Okay. So would the apex of the sacrum be closer to the ischium in a representation of an ER pelvis? So like... Do you have concentric... Like the... Hang on. Do you have concentric orientation in, in, the, yes. in the, the, the near the apex of the sacrum? Say yes. Yes. Like okay. you start, so would you they be start closer that together? way. Would they be closer together? Wouldn't, so, yes. they be relative, yeah, wouldn't they be relatively starting to move away? Why? Because that's where the brakes are. Like the parachute is when you're going to put your foot on the ground. Right. And that would be, would that be muscle or connective tissue behavior, young man? Connective tissue. Okay. Does connective tissue change joint position? <sighs> no. No. All right. Um, okay, that answers kind of that. Important, kind of important. So, well, yeah. but it, it, I like, and, and I, under, I understand, I understand the, the, the sense of the sense of confusion, mm -hmm. right? And, and then understand that how fast all of this stuff changes too. Like the minute that tibia starts to move forward and you're moving towards middle, yes, they are moving apart. That is a change in muscle orientation though. Like always keep that in mind, yeah. right? You have, to, you have to distinguish positions from rate, um, all right. So that sort of brings me to the point of, of my, my, my main question is, mm -hmm. uh, and I have a feeling your answer is going to be like, it doesn't matter. Like do it your way is, uh, <laughs> am I that? Okay. This is, I, I don't remember when I started numbering the calls, right? It was a while back. Uh, but I did a bunch of calls before I started numbering. But this is technically call number 93. Am I that predictable after 93 calls? <laughs> uh, I, I, it's, just, it's just, it's not like a biomechanical question. So it's okay. more like a, a personal one. Oh, well. So, well, sort of. There it's okay. Hey, 
uh, I I state very clearly. I state very clearly every every Wednesday that that hey, we'll talk about anything. Like, yeah, you, well, you want to talk about things that are stressing you out? We can talk about that. I'm really good with relationship <laughs> advice too. Well, I guess it sort of is stressing me out, but it's not necessarily about relationships or anything other than my relationship with my model. So okay, go ahead. I got I got to write it down again. Like I'm I'm to a point I I have to write it out because the little things like that, right? Like they're just yeah. sort of everywhere. You got to teach yourself. Yeah, I I got to do that, and then and then identify because then I'm going all over the place with whatever questions I want to pursue, yeah. um, rather than trying to answer a question. And like you've already told me, I can't multitask. So, yeah. Um, so I guess when you, when you when you really go to write it out, I just don't know from all the times that you've done it, is there? Will you like? Have you sort of? notice that there's some sometimes that there's an easier way to start about it like starting with the 10,000 foot view and then like coming into certain parts or like yeah. I don't know how you like you'll sort of like go about it well but see there's 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 no right way <laughs> okay hang on that's what I said you were gonna say hang on well <laughs> but, but like can we talk about why there's not one right way yes please can you do that okay so let's let's use a concrete example. All right. Let's say that you, you've got, it's a weird clinical day and you've got back-to-back -back patients. One is the most extreme wide ISA individual you've ever seen. The second one is the most narrow ISA individual you've ever seen. Okay. You follow me so far? Yeah. Okay. Both end game. They're both in the same, they are both representing the same uh, position of their center of gravity. Did they get there the same way? No. Could they possibly get there the same way? No, no, they couldn't. Get Absolutely there the same not. Way. Absolutely not. Different starting conditions, different mm -hmm. perceptions, different structure, like everything about them, other than being human and maybe having similar body parts, right? Right. Got there, they got there in different ways. How is it in, remotely possible that you could do this like I do? Uh, it's not possible. It's not possible. I see it. If you and I are standing next to each other and we're looking, Andrew Green is standing right in front of us, okay? You and I are standing next to each other. Andrew Green standing in front of me. Do you realize the fact that, that what you see and what I see are two totally different representations of Andrew Green? Yeah, because I'm like a foot taller than you. Exactly. So, <laughs> so your 10,000-foot view has an extra foot and a half on it, right? It's like literally, right. it's like nothing, nothing about you and I, other than, like I said, being human and, and that kind of thing. Um, that's what we have in common. So at least we can communicate with each other and, yeah. and, and we can help each other arrive at what we would perceive as, as something useful. Gotcha. Right. right. So, gotcha. so, but that's, and that's why we have, that's why I do this. That's why I have this open discussion. It's like, cause I know you can't, Aunt Cameron, you and I could, could have the exact same patient and we'll approach it two different ways and we will both be successful or we will both fail miserably. Okay. Or I fail and you and get better. So. And, but, and, and that, and that, and that's not, and that's not, a, that's not a judgment. That's just a fact. Yeah. 
because you'll see something different than I do. Your mm-hmm. skills, like when you touch somebody, when you physically touch somebody, I get no sensation from that. That's not entirely true because I have a superpower, but because um, I do know, I do know what that stuff feels like. But but my point is, is like, is like literally, it's like all those sensations that you're generating, all those thoughts that you're generating, they're yours. They're not mm-hmm. mine. I'm offering, I'm offering things to help you find your way, right? Gotcha. I'm, I'm streamlining your process for you, but you yeah. still have to figure it out. You still have to do the work. You still have to have the perceptions. Right. Right. So I didn't know what the answer was already. Right, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. I just, uh, I figured if you've done this like 17 or 20 times by now. Oh, please. Like- the, the picture that I, the picture that I show in, in the intensive group is, is 22, but there's, there's like 400. <laughs> oh, all right. Each one of those is broken down into much smaller pieces. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Appreciate it. Uh-huh.